gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and for your holy and precious word. And as you send the rain to water the earth and it brings forth an abundance of fruit, may your word fall on all our hearts this night and every day and evening, producing the fruit that you desire in our lives, fruit that will last into eternity. Bless your word to our hearts this evening. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, about a month and a half ago, um, my second grandson, Samuel, was born, and uh, it turns out he was coming, it appeared he was coming early. And so we were praying that he would stay in the oven, so to speak, a little longer. That's the best place for the baby to be. And uh, so that was our prayer. But he came early, about three weeks early. And it turned out it was a good thing that he did because we discovered as he was coming out, uh, his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck twice and he couldn't really come out because that shortens the cord down. And so it was a little nervous there uh, for a few moments, but everything turned out fine. And uh, Samuel uh, John is doing well, a healthy little month and a half old baby. Now, I decided to put my thoughts about his birth into an email to some cousins of mine up in Indianapolis. They happen to be uh, Pentecostals, which is fine. Uh, and I, I just, I shared, I actually cited uh, one of our readings for tonight. Uh, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And, and so I, I just shared in the email, God knew better than I and the rest of us what Samuel needed. Well, I got an email reply from one of my cousins. And uh, she, she shared this with me. She said, John, through your prayer, you petitioned heaven. And you released the power of God so that little Samuel could break free of what was binding him. And I thought, well, okay, now that's interesting. And I don't know if you caught the contrast, but in my understanding of what happened, I was maximizing God and minimizing myself. Now, I didn't even know what to pray for, but God knew best right, what the little boy needed. But in her understanding of the very same event, she was maximizing me and really kind of minimizing the Lord. I don't, I don't know that, she, I don't, I, I wouldn't say she intended that at all, okay, I mean, she meant well, and she's rejoicing with us in Samuel's birth and his life, and, and as well she should, and all of us should. But it's the contrast that I bring to your attention because I think it, it serves as a, as a good illustration of what we're going to talk about this evening, which is, you know, our, our false Christ of the week, the uh, Jesus, the giver of bling. And, and bling, now, you, you may be aware, 
is a slang term. It's from the hip-hop culture. It, it refers to, uh, uh, you know, bright jewelry, flashy clothes, um, the appearance of wealth, right? Conspicuous consumption of wealth, fancy cars, mansions, that sort of thing. All of that is bling. That's Jesus, the giver of bling now, that we're talking about tonight. And I really refer to him as the prosperity idol. I kind of prefer uh, that term. And Roman numeral one in your outline, the hallmarks of Jesus, the prosperity idol, is number one, personal revelation trumps scripture. It trumps scripture, okay? Now, God can do anything he wants. He could appear to you in a dream. He could speak to you in a voice from heaven. He's, he's not bound. But he has bound us to his word, you see. And as Lutherans, we take the word very seriously, or we should. Now, it's not that we leapfrog over 20 centuries of history and tradition. We don't. We listen and pay attention to tradition. We take it very seriously. We take the writings of the church fathers very seriously. They, they support our belief, by the way, of justification by grace through faith. St. Augustine and others taught this. We cite the church fathers in our Lutheran confessional writings. We do it again and again and again. But the ultimate authority and measure by which we evaluate everything is Holy Scripture. And that's the standard by which everything should be measured, religiously speaking. What does the Word of God say? And so if you get some sort of personal revelation from God, and, and again, God can do anything He wants, you've got to measure it against Scripture, and that's what we're doing tonight with the prosperity idol, okay? This is often referred to as the health and wealth gospel. You've probably heard that term. It's the name it and claim it gospel. It's the uh, uh, blab it and grab it gospel. It's been called that. Uh, the believe it and receive it gospel. The, the doubt and go without gospel. And that brings us to point B. The belief here is that you speak things into existence. It's called positive confession. That's kind of a nice way of putting it. Positive confession. You speak new realities into existence through your words. Now, you may wonder, where did they get that idea? Okay, because all of us know that God speaks things into existence, right? That's how he made the world. That's how he makes the lame walk and the dead rise. He speaks a new reality. But how can we do that? Well, here's the theology behind it, a very false theology. Number one, we are incarnations of God. Every bit as much as Jesus was the incarnation of God, you and I are incarnations of God. This is how one prosperity preacher puts it. This is Creflo Dollar. And uh, this is what he says. 
He says, God made everything in Genesis to reproduce after its own kind, right? So, horses produce horses, right? Uh, dogs produce dogs, okay? Now, God makes man in his own image. So what is God producing? More gods. Little gods. Well, no, that's, that's what they teach. Now, <laughs> that's not true, okay? But that's the teaching. That's why you can speak new things into existence. Because you are a little god. You are a little incarnation of God himself. And so I quote in number two here, uh, Creflo Dollar again, as spiritual beings who possess the nature of God, we have the ability to speak things into existence just like God did in Genesis 1. Now, this stuff is all over the Trinity Broadcasting Network. You can hardly turn it on without listening to Ron Parsley, Marilyn Hickey, um, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen. Oh, who's the... Um, they call him the new Billy Graham now. He's anything but. Um, I'm sorry, the name escapes me right now. But they're all over the place. They fill the airwaves with this teaching. And this is the root of it, that you are a little God. And here's a quote from Joel Osteen, point number three, talking about the birth of John the Baptist. And the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. Zechariah does not believe what the angel is telling him, that he, he's a very old man. His wife Elizabeth, very old woman, and yet they're going to give birth to a son. Uh, his name will be John, and so on. Well, Zechariah doesn't believe it. And so the angel says, well, you're not going to be able to speak until he's born. All right? And this is how Joel Osteen understands it. Why did God take away Zechariah's speech? It's because God knew Zechariah's words would cancel out his plan. You see, God knows the power of our words. He knows that we prophesy our future. And he knew that Zechariah's negative words would stop his plan. So he had to shut him up. Now, I'm not kidding you. This is, this is real. That's a real quote. Roman numeral two, this false idol depends upon a rejection of scripture as ultimate authority. We've already mentioned that. You know, whenever you have two sources of authority, scripture, let's say, and personal revelation, just like you can't serve two masters, you're always going to, to take one more seriously than the other. That's the way it is with two sources of authority. One's always going to trump the other. It's just the way it is. And so these, these people interpret Scripture in light of their personal revelation. It's the same way with tradition. Again, we don't ignore tradition. We pay serious attention to it. But it doesn't trump the Word of God. Point B, it is the idolatry of self you know what the devil said or what the serpent said to the woman, you shall be as God.
Point C, faith is redefined as willpower. It's willpower rather than trust in the merits of Christ. How much faith can you cough up to create your new reality rather than depend on the Lord who gave up his life for you? Now, they would say those two things are not in opposition, but I would say that one trumps the other. This is a redefinition of faith as something that arises from within you. They view, they view faith as a creative force that you harness. And it's an if-then theology, meaning if you do the appropriate things, then God is obligated to release his power and do what you ask. Point E, it can't deal with suffering. That's where it falls flat. Suffering, the way it does deal with suffering is, it refers to suffering as a lack of faith. If someone wasn't healed, it's because somebody in that group didn't believe as they should have. Whoever was praying, somebody failed. Otherwise, God would have been obligated to do it. And point F, uh, it, it depends on a fake understanding of glory, fake glory. Uh, this is the world's idea of glory. It's the bling, it's the wealth, it's the prosperity, more stuff, you know. That becomes the evidence of God's blessing. Now, now, how do you square that with Scripture? How do you square that with Jesus? How do you square it with the apostles who lost everything in the cause of Christ? They were not faithless people. I mean, it, it's easy to disprove this, and yet it's so appealing. Why? Because it caters to your craving. All of us crave more. All of us want more stuff. And especially when a loved one is dying of cancer. You do most anything to, you, you want to cover every base. So people go there. The world's idea, it's a fake glory. A true glory is the glory of the cross. Now, when you look at the cross and you look at the man hanging there, you ask yourself, why on earth would anyone consider that to be glory? And, and kind of simply stated, it, it's like this. The man's not there for himself, you see. He's not there for his own mistakes. He has none of those to account for. Jesus is there for your mistakes, for my mistakes. He chooses the nails for our sake. That's the glory of the cross, you see. That's true glory. It's glory that is hidden beneath suffering. So that our, our eyes really deceive us. When, when we see someone down and out, we think that poor wretch, he must not be living right. When in fact, real glory is hidden under that very thing that we despise. That's the teaching of Scripture. The glory of God is hidden under the cross. It's hidden under rejection. It's hidden under suffering and dying. 
those things, it's under those rocks that you find the glory that Scripture commends to us all. And it happens to all of us. And when it does, we have this comfort that God has not left us. He's not abandoned us. No, we're precisely in his will when these things befall us and we cling to him in faith. That's real glory. And it will shine brightly. It will be evident to our eyes on the last day. St. Paul writes, the sufferings of the present are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, but it will be revealed on the last day. That's when it becomes visible. But now we see it with the eyes of faith, and we look at the cross, and we see that is the glory of God. It's not the avoidance of it, but the embrace of it. That is true glory before our eyes, the eyes of faith. So Roman numeral three, the real Jesus sought not equality with God, that's in our fourth reading, but he humbled himself. He sought not the highest place, the highest seat, point B, but the lowest. This is the glory of God. Certainly not the glory of man, Point C, he sought not prosperity, but poverty. St. Paul writes, you know our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Not rich in the things of this world that are passing away, but rich in those things that are eternal, forgiveness, life, and salvation. We're wealthy beyond compare in the things that last. Point D, he sought not to save his life, but to lose it for our sake. He sought not creature comforts, but a cross. He sought not an earthly crown, but a heavenly one. He sought not to avoid suffering, but to embrace it embraces it. We see that in his prayer in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. And he sought not the glory that comes from men, but that which comes from God. The glory that comes from God. Hidden from the eyes of unbelief, but visible to you and to me. I suspect you're familiar with the bumper sticker, if God is your co-pilot, swap seats, right? But this prosperity idol puts God in the back seat. You are in the driver's seat, and you speak your desires into reality. That's the prosperity idol. The problem with that is that my desires are inadequate to my own need. I don't know what I ought to pray for. How can I depend on my desires to lead me in the right direction? I may think I know what's best, but only God does, and I'm not him. 
Samuel's birth is proof enough of that. You know what? I need a God, and so do you, that's smarter than we are, that knows better than we. We need a God who gives us what he desires, and that's Christ on the cross for you and for me and for the world. You know, as sinful people, we don't need another idol. We don't need another one, especially one that appeals to our craving for more and more things. We don't need that. As sinful people, we need the God of Holy Scripture, who daily gives us what we truly need, which is peace and reconciliation with God and with one another. That's what we need. The real joy and the satisfaction in life lies in healed relationships between God and you and between God and your neighbor. That's what our Lord provides. That's what we need. We need a God who chose the crown of thorns. We need a God who chose the cross and the nails for all of us. That's the God we have. That's the God we celebrate and glory in. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.